birth out of a people who keep their chest closed and their hearts open saying, Lord, I need you. Because the only way to live life and remain as a fellowship is if we're going to be a bunch of drunks just serving each other. And since that might bother some of your core being, let me read it for a Jesus church. Now it's on the screen. The only way that we're going to truly live life as a fellowship of broken people and grace-absorbed people is when we serve each other. When we lay down our lives for one another, and so you don't get lost in superheroes or what we're about, there's a song that the church used to sing that I think is a song we should sing together all the time. It's found in Philippians, the second chapter, verses 5 through 11, and I've memorized it in another one, so forgive me if you kind of hear me reading it and then speaking it and then reading it differently. But in, in the CSB, it reads this way, I want you to adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. We've already established this, but that, in my opinion, is an epic sentence, and it is a sentence that is a game changer for every follower of Jesus in this room and every follower of Jesus that walks this earth. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And here's his attitude. This is the song they would sing. He's the nature God. He exists in the form of God. He did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. I really like that translation. Instead, he being Jesus emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. He took on likeness of humanity and we had come as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And I just want to pause there, and that's really the section I want to think about, because for the rest of this song, it is all Jesus, and he will be fully exalted. And we should, I am going to read it, because here's what we should be doing now, so that we actually sing songs 15 minutes ago about heaven, thinking, as I walk this earth, I want to sing this song now, like I anticipate I'll sing it in heaven, and if I'm not singing it now, as if I think I will sing it 2,000 years from now, what's wrong with me now? Because this song is being sung right now before Jesus, and a lot of us sang this song with half-heartedness about 15 minutes ago. For this reason, God exalted him. He highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will make this glorious confession that he is Lord and it will be done for the glory of God, the Father who is in heaven. So I was going to not read that part, but how do you not read that part? Because that centers the church. But the very first verses, verses 6, 7, and 8, paint out some character qualities that we should be about as a church. Just kind of saying individually and corporately, this should be who we are. And I, I think they're super simple, so I will say simple today. I think the first character quality is that if we're going to adopt the attitude as that of Christ, we will set our gaze on Jesus, set our hearts on Jesus, set our affections on Jesus. Some of you are going, I've, we've heard this since we've been small and going to church. We forget it. We set our gaze on Jesus, fix our hearts there. We've, we've been talking the last few weeks, I think of our last few small group sessions, and just those who are setting their hearts on Jesus, a, a woman making her way through a crowd, as we studied this morning, if you were in one of our groups this morning, who was crawling her way, just simply saying, I am fixed on Jesus. He is the only place of my hope. I will crawl through a crowd for him. I will crawl unclean through the crowd for him. And if I can, I will grab the hem of his garment. 
because my gaze is fixed here. We, did, we see this as a motif of the launching of the church in the early days where folk whose faith made them whole were a people whose heart was wholly committed to Christ. You don't have to go far to see what is my personal favorite example, and I know some people who came prepared for this moment. My personal favorite example for the Philippian church and the church getting together here at Mandarin is um, the forefathers. So the early church can look back at the forefathers and say, how do we set our gaze on Christ and what does that mean for us? And apparently in doing so, there will be an eclipse of God's size and epic proportions that will happen among us so that rather than having to put on some significant shades that you paid anywhere from 6 to $25 that are, are fundamentally broken and will do no good for you tomorrow, People should have to walk out, and as we walk out, because we have encountered Jesus, apparently there is a Shekinah glory of God that is so moving over us as a people of God that they're not putting on the shades tomorrow, they're putting them on in the next 30 minutes. Saying, here comes, and some of you are just kind of going, that's nice, that's easy to say. No, it is what happens when a group of people climb to the top of the mountain and set their gaze on Jesus and he fills our lives so fully that we can't help but be a people who radiate his goodness. And I, and then I, I often say this, I don't have to say, God, would you do a miracle and create a radiance about us for the sake of your name. I don't have to ask as if it's a miracle. I just read the scripture and see that he's already done it. I just begin to say, God, if this is the way you shaped Moses to come down, they're going, you've been with God. Moses was up on a mountaintop, if you will, and he says um, in an extraordinary plea, God, help me. I need you to help me lead these people. And this is probably how most of us feel as we seek to engage people with the gospel. Help me lead these people. And who can fault him for his fears? I jotted down a lot of notes here. He's encircled right now by a group of Israelites who would rather go back to Egypt into slavery, who've been set free. There are hot winds blowing. There's blazing boulders around him. He's an ex-shepherd. That's his, that's his prolific call and his educational value. And he's sitting and going, oh, Lord, help. I'm adopting the attitude as that of God. Jesus Christ, move through me and allow me to lead these people into a far more glorious future, but more importantly, allow me to lead these people to show a far more glorious Savior. How, how are we going to do this, God? I'm pleading for your help. And the Lord just gets around him and says, I'll go with you. Listen to this sentence. I will do what you ask because I know you very well and I'm pleased with you. I love your heart. What do you, what do you think he's going to ask? Because the Lord just said to him, I'm going to do whatever you ask, whatever you need, whatever's going on. This would grab my attention if I'm in a prayer time with the Lord and I'm praying about some movement among Mandarin, some passion of our heart, something that God is laying in the midst of us. And we're saying, oh God, we need you to move. I would love to hear God say, I know the heart of this church. I know the passion of where you are. I know what you're praying and I will give you what you ask. What in the world would we ask for? 
I'm, I'm thinking of this guy sitting here going, I'm in the middle of a glorious ask to the living God. I can ask him of anything, and I am surrounded by a million stiff-necked, unappreciated, unappreciative, cow-worshipping people. I have a few things I could ask. When I wrote that sentence, I, I laughed at myself. I have prayer options is what I wrote. But Moses knew what God could do. I would say the ancient East knew what God could do. They're still talking about Aaron and the powers and wonders of God as he and Moses work together. The Nile full of blood, gnats everywhere, frogs like you can't imagine. I feel like the Lord is standing with Moses right now and he's saying, um, right here, here's the phone booth. I know you had not seen one in a while, but I know your heart. I know where you're heading. I'm going with you, and we're going to keep walking to this land that I have. So step in here, and I will provide what you ask and what you need. And I think the Lord, Moses could have been sitting going, Lord, I know not only can you have manna fall, quail fall, I think you can have mountains move because the very same mountain that I'm standing on was shaken last time I was standing on it. Would that be pause? Would that be a good description of the faith that you have reckoned with God as you begin to step into big moments of asking of him and then you're able to say, God, I am asking for another mountain to be moved, but you are quite capable because I have stood on this mountain with you before and you rock this mountain. I, th I think there's faith building in Moses as he because what he begins and moves toward and asks for is so powerful. It's just this, Lord, I know what I am prone to do. I am prone to wander and I'm prone to lead a people who are far worse than me in wandering. And so, Lord, please hear me. And the Lord said to him, my presence will go with you. We will see this journey to the end. And Moses says, one more request, one more thing I would ask. Would you set my gaze on you? Would you fix my heart on you? Because where we're about to walk is going to be an extraordinarily impassioned place. It's going to be a place filled with struggles, with trials. You're going to ask me to pass a torch to a guy that I long to see carry the journey. It's going to require a walk again through floodwaters. And it's going to overcome people who we can't possibly overcome ourselves. Situations, scenarios, and all of these things are going to embroil together to cause us to question you again. So here's what I'm asking, Lord. Fix my gaze on you. To be specific from Scripture, show me your glory. And I would say to you, before we dig into what we should and should not exploit, and what we should and should not lay down, we should begin with the adoption of the name of Jesus Christ. And saying, God, I can't, this, is, this song we're singing, the stuff the preacher's saying, I just, I just would rather go back and open up and show you the S of who I am. And the Lord is going, no, I'm just, I'm just looking for a group of people who are grace absorbed, who are deeply impassioned for my gaze, and who are asking me for more of me. And so if, if, if we would like to go forward, there will be less self-focus and more God. There will be less about each one of us and more about Him. And there will be this stirring within so that we can be stunned by the strength of God to be numbed 
with the wisdom that we do not have and what he brings so that our breath could be taken for the sake of his name so that we join in the song that is singing eternally around his throne all glory and wonder and honor and praise. I never grow weary of singing that song. So help us glimpse these things. I think the second thing I see, I love this translation. So first, I see just this this passionate heart of a church, a body of believers who, if you could hear this, I, I, I will do whatever you ask. This would, that would be a note-taking moment. I would probably fill a page if I were sitting where you were. What am I asking of God for his glory? What are we asking together of God for his glory? And here's what will happen as I ask this, Lord. There will be nothing that I will exploit for selfish gain. Nothing. I, I read the scripture and I just, the first thing, Jesus is the person that you are asking. He exists in the form of God as he put, he didn't consider this equality was something to be grasped. He exploited nothing for personal gain. And so I, you know, my thoughts are really simple. Number one, I'll fix my eyes on Jesus. And number two, I just said it, I'll exploit nothing for personal gain. Okay. I believe it will take you quite a while to untangle. I don't, I don't tend to throw out sentences like that. It takes me a long time to untangle the knot of self-exploitation. Because I tend to tie more every day. I exploit things for my own good. I manipulate things so that I can land somewhere. I seek to take circumstances so that painful situations come off of me. I'm, I'm, I'm a part of Moses where I'm going. I, I sense I work in futility a lot of the time and frustration a lot of the time. So, Lord, what do I ask of you? And I could have come up with 50 prayers besides, I just, need some, I just want your glory. I would probably have asked 50 things before I asked that because here's who I am. I am an exploiter for personal gain, and so are you. And if we're going to be a body of believers who adopt the attitude of that of Christ Jesus, we will exploit nothing, no thing for personal gain. I, I wrote it this way. I've read, I read this. I want to say John Ortberg said it this way. Humility has fully to do with submitted willingness. A healthy self-forgetfulness. This willingness to say, I just want to keep walking through life. And if I can make it through a day, I kind of, I love Billy Graham. He used to say, my goal is to make it through a day sinless. I, I'm, I don't, I'm nowhere near that. But I would love to help me have a day where I walk through a day selfless, which would probably compel some sinlessness. I want to walk through a day thinking about the glory and the radiance of God. I want to have healthy self-forgetfulness that I'm so filled with the Spirit, so alive in the moment that I cease to be preoccupied with myself. And I am fully occupied with God and the others that he's put around me. That's my prayer. As I began to study this, my mind immediately just went to another song of the church so you could understand the attitude of Jesus. In the book of Colossians, it starts in chapter 1 just singing this song. Christ has existed with God. He's existed with God always. He's eternally existed with God. His, he's equal with God. So we're asking to adopt the same attitude as Jesus. He is God. He's the image of the invisible God. He is firstborn over all creation. He is creator over everything, everything, everything. He created it all. In heaven, on earth, visible, invisible. This is how this song goes on. They're singing it. He is the creator. He is the creator and ruler over kings and authorities. That's who Jesus is. 
He is the all created through him, for him. He is before all things. He holds all things together. He is the firstborn among the dead, which, oh my goodness, he is in his nature God. Yet, 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 humility has everything to do with a submitted willingness. And so here's one song being sung of the church, and here's another song being sung to say, this, all of this is who Jesus is. All of this is who Jesus is. And yet, he considered equality with God nothing to be grasped, but something, nothing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the nature of a servant and found in human likeness. I think that's the wrestling match for us, is what are we exploiting for personal gain? Titles, mess. I, I would say in this room, we need this healthy self-forgetfulness. This God, teach me to come alive for the things of who you are. When we're with others, when we're truly with them, we're not wondering right now, how can you benefit me? We're, we're, we're nominating some leaders right now in this church. No one being nominated is wondering what proprietary titles they may get out of this position. Among a body of believers who fulfill Philippians 2, 1 through 4, you know, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness or compassion, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, to nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but, but just consider others before you consider yourself. There would be this healthy self forgetfulness among us because we do chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 because we are adopting chapter 2 verse 5, 6, 7, and 8. And we're never sitting around going, man, how can I exploit Brad Day? He's probably got, he's probably got good tickets to the Jaguars. Jesus had this, I just will be really quick with this. I, he dealt with this with every disciple. I started to write down, which one do I allude to? And, and, and the one with the most, with Thomas, is beautiful. I love Thomas. Everybody wants to call him a doubter. I hate that. James, John, Peter, game changer moments, the 21st chapter of John, where Jesus just said, Peter, your heart is so passionate which I hope reflects most of us in this room, that you just keep wanting to exploit it for personal gain. And what, what I want to walk you with right now is I, I, have, I have some things for you to do in this world. I have some glory for the name of myself in this world. And I need you to stop exploiting it for your glory. I need you to stop figuring out whether you're the best disciple or not. I need you and John to stop figuring out who can run faster. It's where scripture is so fun. When John writes in the book of John, I don't want you to know, I outran Peter. We're, we're just like the disciples, you know. I got to the grave first, just to be clear. I could run the 800 faster than him. And Jesus just sits with Peter and he says, so here's what I have to wrestle out with you. A healthy self-forgetfulness. So Peter, before you're going to go and game change and ultimately be crucified upside down, that's where John 21 ends. You will spread your arms open and you will voluntarily say, I can't be crucified as a savior so turn me upside down please we've got to settle some things and i need just need you to tell me do you love me and they go through this beautiful dialogue 
It was a dialogue that we like to make a little mystical. I think it was just a dialogue of healthy self-forgetfulness, saying, look, I, I know your heart. You've got to stop exploiting. And he got it in that moment, and he began to see the truth in that moment. Was he perfect? No. Did he walk with God in fullness? Yes. Was the globe changed because of his walk? Yes. And it began with a settling of this issue. Peter, do you love me? And his answer was, I want to. And ultimately, the wrestling match, if you've heard me preach this before, I'll summarize it in a single sentence. The wrestling match was this. I've got to get to a point of emptying myself of self before I can move forward with all of the passions of my heart. And he and Jesus just began to move forward from that point, eating fish together, always, always a good thing to eat fish and talk with Jesus. I just put a simple sentence, and I, I will let you wrestle with this for as long as you live, because you won't deal with it in heaven. Nothing is for my gain. Wrestle with that, please. Write it in your notes, please. Go back to chapter 2, verses 6, 7, and 8, and write that sentence and script the attitude of Jesus into your heart. And I, fight, I, put, I put my last thought as a play on a Greek word. Um, just revel in, in your being. In, in the CSB, which I'm reading now, translates, translates the word um, in verse 6 to existing in the form of God. Did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself much as he then invited Peter to do. He assumed the form of a servant as he asked Peter to do. And uh, Peter already had human likeness, and so he just had to wrestle through this. But this Greek word is a beautiful Greek word, and I, I just want you to revel, not in your existing, can we just go with a different translation, revel in your being. And, and let me parse this out. Uh, humility is beautifully expressed in this song, being in the very nature God. Althorn, who's a theologian, just wrote about this, and he said being in the Greek is a circumstantial participle. So you're going to like this for a minute, and I won't bore you, I promise. In fact... You'll probably laugh and mock me for this, but how do we translate a circumstantial participle to be being or existing, but being, just revel in your being. Did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. That means that the circumstances surrounding this verb or this tense would allow us to understand what was being said. So what are you saying? Circumstantial participles express purpose, duration. What's going on here? For instance, I have a great sentence for you to help you understand more fully what it means in this circumstantial participle. Today, I will leave as soon as I go, and I, my daughter and wife are already there to the Florida State University and move my child in. So I say this in light of that reality. Being a Bama fan, we predict the team to win a national title. That's funny. Being is a cause. Here's why. Because we are Bama fans, we predict a national title. Chris has never been less with me, and Brent's went behind you. Y'all high five and disagree. It's, it's the cause. It predict, here, a, a circumstan that's a causal participle. A circumstantial participle would, would run this way. Okay, here we go. Here's another one, so you can run with this one. Being Jacksonville Jaguars fans, we predict to win the Super Bowl if we're Malik Jackson. It's not quite the same, is it? Not quite the power. It's, this is concessive circumstantial. Here's how it would read otherwise. 
listen, this is helps you understand. This really is Greek. We're having fun. Despite the fact that we are Jaguars fans, it's still preseason. And that still messed us up, but we predict that we will win the Super Bowl. So you could look at this as a concessive participle and read it this way, and Hawthorne says you'd be so remiss. But Jesus, being in the nature God, despite the fact that he was God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Jesus became a servant in spite of the fact that he was God. And he said, if you interpret it in a concessive manner, you will miss it. And also, the entirety of descriptions that surround this compel you to interpret only as a causative participle. He says these words, an essential point that he is making is this. When Jesus came as a servant, let me just pack up, Jesus became a servant, according to this concessive, in spite of the fact that he was God, we would be missing it. Take the verb and Christ's actions and say this, adopt the attitude of Christ Jesus precisely because he was in the very nature God. And this, this has huge implications. Jesus didn't take on just an outer form, I'm going to shuck this for a little while, and then I'll put back on who I really am. He became and displayed who he really is. Paul uses the same Greek word to describe Jesus' servanthood and his godhood. When he was describing him, he was saying, this is who he is. When Jesus came, and this has major implications per verse 5, if we're going to adopt this attitude. When Jesus came in the form of a servant, he was not disguising who God is. He was revealing God. He was unveiling the truth. And as a body of believers, if we're going to fulfill Philippians 2, again, 1 through 4, and our attitudes and this unity among us is going to prevail and humility is going to abound, we have to come to grips with this. It wasn't this, well, Jesus was an extraordinary deal, but, you know, he took it all off for us. No, no, this is the heart of God. The heart of God is a servant heart to lay down his life for others, to sacrifice gladly and joyfully. And so, therefore, if we are the followers of Jesus, because we follow Jesus, we will gladly lay down our lives for others. Because that is the nature of God. Wow. So when Jesus, I wrote this sentence, for the screen, when Jesus came in the form of a servant, I've already said it, so let me just say it again. It probably popped up while I was saying it. He was not disguising who God is. He was revealing God in his fullness. And so I end, I end here. I have like seven statements that I wrote. Being Jesus people then, we predict that you will serve with joy. That's who you are. If you're following Jesus, it's who, who you are. Because we are Jesus people, we fully expect, expect among this body that the only name exploited in this room is Jesus. That, the implications of, are huge in our personal life, in our private life, in our sin, in our best moments, in our relationships. The only name exploited among the body of believers 
in Jesus. Why? Because we follow him. It's huge. Being Jesus people, we expect that you will empty your name and elevate his. I think I just said that. Being Jesus people, though, we expect, and we'll get to this later in Philippians 2, when he says, I'm going to pour my life out like a drink offering. We expect that we are a people who are pouring the grace and goodness of Jesus into the world. Being Jesus people, you will worship in wonder and live in awe of who he is. Being Jesus people, when non-Jesus people walk in this room, they're looking at a community filled with grace and awe and wonder and don't know why it's happening, but are brought to a point of being in awe that it is happening. With servants' hearts, with wonder, being Jesus people, we would hear a message like this and we would respond like Moses. I agree. Amen. This is who you are. Give us more Jesus. This is true. This is epic. It goes against everything on this earth. Everything. Show us your glory. Being Jesus people, the last sentence is on the screen. You will reveal the heart and character of God to one another and ultimately to his glory. This is who we are. So adopt the attitudes of Jesus who existed, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something that they would ever exploit. Instead, we empty ourselves. We assume one of servanthood. We take on the likeness of humanity and we walk among people with the very nature and character of Christ. It is good. It is liberating to take off any thought of internal strength and superman fortitude and instead to put on Thank you, Lord, for that freedom to not have to be more than I am and, in fact, to be nothing but yours. Lord, I pray for those in this room who are wrestling with this truth because it's weighty. God, I pray first that it would be seen as truth. Jesus, I pray that you would draw us back to your scripture. God, I pray that your scripture would be used to reprove, to correct some of our thoughts and actions, to rebuke some behaviors, to encourage and exhort us into who we are as a result, as a causative participle, being people of yours. God, I pray there will be an adoption in this room an ongoing desire of the attitude of Jesus. And out of that will swell a longing for intimacy with Christ. 